Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Law Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by Law Publicist Communications, an ALRPRA incorporated agency. Law Publicist Communications is a full-service public relations agency focused on law firms and service industry professionals. At Law Publicist Communications, we are headquartered in downtown Chicago, Illinois, and we serve greater Chicago, Denver, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C., Here at Law Publicist Communications, we offer online and offline resources to help put you on the map and keep people talking about you and your firm. We also offer coaching and consulting in traditional practice management for all attorneys, especially attorneys starting law firms and those who find themselves in transition. Now, today's guest is Jerome Lippman of the Chicago firm of Horwich Coleman Levin. They have performed litigation support and services in business business valuations for numerous law firms in Cook County and other counties in Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Minnesota, New York, and Wisconsin. The firm also performs most of the usual accounting services such as compilations, reviews, audits, and tax preparation for various clients around the United States. Mr. Littman is a member of many professional groups and works with various practice models and firms. A website for more information is www.horwich.com, which is H-O-R-W-I-C-H.com, for more information. We do have a great show for you this afternoon, and we open up for callers uh, either through uh, telephone line at 917-889-9732, then press option 1 to be placed in the queue. Again, 917-889-9732. 732 option one, or you can always send an email directly to me. It'll come to my BlackBerry during the show, and that's at nick, N I C K, at A L R P R A dot com. Please put Law Talk Radio in the subject line. Now, by way of disclaimer, quickly, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship, and our programming is politically neutral and objective. Your counterparts to views expressed on our shows are always welcomed. Law Talk Radio, again, is produced by Law Publicist Communications, an ALR PRA incorporated agency. Law Talk Radio does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by guests and finally all confidential callers or callers information do remain confidential and rights to the broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. So um, now that we have that out of the way I'll give you the subject matter for today's program. Every year there are countless startups and companies and they all have value. Small to mid-sized businesses work tirelessly on succession planning to try to get to the next phase in business. Larger businesses consider going public and need to determine where they stand financially. If you are an attorney representing a client who has a vested financial interest in a business, then it is necessary that you use a professional business evaluator to review the books. Whether you are representing a party in divorce or an entrepreneur looking to evaluate their book of business and offer the piece of a pie to an incoming partner, business valuations are absolutely necessary to working with a business interest as a commodity. Today, Jerome Lipman walks us through what we should know. So, very exciting show, and uh, Jerome, if you're there, I'd just like to say hello, and uh, thank you for your time today. Hello, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Nick, on this uh uh, occasion, and I hope that I could help our listeners uh, determine whether they need a business valuation or they need litigation support services uh, or what they should be doing if they have such a problem. 
Oh. All right. Well, let's. And I'll tell you what. Just by way of quick background, I came out of family law myself, and I saw a lot of people getting divorced, and a lot of businesses that we had represented what the tax returns were for the past year, but never never had a business valuation. So many people I I knew uh, jumped up and down and screamed malpractice. So um, it's one of the things that we really want to highlight here: the need, when, how, and all of that. So moving forward, why don't I just ask you, if you could, to give us a little bit of a path of. Uh, your background and how you got to where you are today. Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, I got to that background uh, in a very unusual way because uh, most of my uh, uh, com- contemporaries in business valuation got into business valuation as a CPA in the estate planning arena where business valuations are needed on a constant basis for gifting purpose purposes or for death uh, valuations. Uh, but I got into it uh, in the divorce arena in the very first situation. Um, somewhere in the very late 70s or 80s, uh, Illinois changed their law from a fault-type divorce to a no-fault equitable distribution state. And at that point, all of a sudden, accountants were needed in divorce cases because that's what counted, not who did what to whom, but who had the money and how do you distribute the money in an equitable fashion. Uh, One of my partners uh, walked into my office late on a uh, Wednesday uh, afternoon, so what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, I'm going out to a client in uh, Lake Bluff. Call him and cancel it. Why? So because you're working with me tonight and you've got to testify in court tomorrow. he had uh, been in the courtroom when witnesses were not supposed to be there. And as, a, uh, as for that reason, he was disallowed in court, and we went over the case. And um, I evidently did a good job. Uh, about uh, uh, three or four months later, he had another problem where he couldn't do anything in the case because it was a relative, and he got a little uh, uh, too t- uh, nervous about trying to represent a cousin. So I represented him again. The same attorney, I was, I was on the same attorney's side against the same attorney on the opposite side. And the attorney on the opposite side and I occasionally would ride a train together or would see each other downtown. And one day he came up to me and said, you know, you did a good job against me a couple of times. How would you like to work for me? And I said, why not? And that's how it got started. So I got in through uh, the divorce the area. And I've, I've loved it ever since. In fact, uh, in uh, today's situation, I seldom uh, work on tax returns or audits. Virtually my total t- uh, time is spent in business valuation and litigation, whether it's for uh, divorce, estate planning, gifting, uh, or other types of litigation. So uh, that's, how I, that's how I got into it. But I think that anyone who is going through a divorce should have their business evaluated if there is a business that is an investment by either side of the family, whether it's the husband or the wife. Uh, we refer to them as the property spouse for the one who owns the business. And uh, there are many women who are the property spouse. And the business should be valued. It should be looked at uh, with a uh, unjauntist eye. Uh, when you're deciding on whether uh, on who to use or what to use in that situation, I would recommend that you use someone other than the accounting firm you're presently using for uh, for doing your tax returns or financial statements or audits, compilations, reviews. The uh, reason being is that they've got somewhat of a vested interest on in some of the decisions that they have made, and some of the decisions that they have made may have been very good for the 
business, but they may have uh, not been the right decision for a spouse getting divorced. So you've got to look at that and also the independence of somebody who is not going to uh, potentially lose a client if they make a mistake or if they say come up with an idea that is wrong. Uh, just as um, some, uh, you're running for office, you want to say the things that will get you for a vote uh, so that you get the office or be retained in office. And then you don't want a CPA who's going to be put into that particular problem. You need someone completely independent who's going to look at it and look at it with an experienced eye and investigate anything that may appear to be unusual and come up with an independent value. One of the other... I, go ahead. Go ahead. I have, I have a question uh, about some of the back-end work, um, but c c continue. But the question that I'm going to have is how much work... It's obviously a two-way street. Uh, I'm curious as to how much work the business uh, has to put into turning over financials or if it's all the same financials the accountant uh, has or if there's extra work involved. I'm just curious about the process as well. Okay. Well, that, that could be a twofold answer to that. Uh, a company that is audited or has normal financial statements and tax returns, uh, you start with those, and it's only when you see something there that uh, should be changed for whatever the reason is that you start looking for more information. Uh, the, uh, the basic uh, uh, guidelines that we follow in business valuations uh, was written by, of all people, the Internal Revenue Service. I, used to, I call them the Infernal Revenue Service, but uh, 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 they um, started getting into this act back in the teens when uh, prohibition was uh, in force, and there were some lawsuits uh, pending against the government uh, because they closed them down and put people out of business. Frankly, I'm surprised that a lawsuit like that, a class action, hasn't been filed uh, regarding the auto industry uh, in the United States um, as of now. At least I'm unaware of anything like that. Uh, but that was when the fir they first came up with some regulations uh, by the government on uh, business valuations. Then later on, they came up with something in, uh, in 1959, which is, which is the, the real Bible of business valuations today. It is something that every business valuator studies and uses whenever they are doing a business valuation. So, uh, uh, and in there, they suggest, and getting back, getting to the uh, real topic of your question, that you look at certain tax returns and financial statements to the extent that they are available. And they suggest the past five to six years of balance sheets and income statements. So that's and the same thing would be with the tax returns. So as a business valuator trying to comply with Revenue Ruling 5960, which, by the way, uh, is the law in Illinois divorce cases, you're supposed to follow 5960 if you can. Uh, I try to look at the past five to six years uh, financial statements and tax returns. And from there, then I start asking for other documents. Now, if whether I'm on the uh, property spouse's side or the non-property spouse, uh, the property spouse, if uh, if I'm on the non-property, is not going to prepare anything that I request unless he's forced to. They normally they, the uh, the, uh, the uh, law indicates that if it's available, you got to give it, but you're not going to create anything new. Uh, if you're on the on the property side, and if you need something and you explain why, you're probably going to be able to get that document prepared. Uh, 
and the documents that you might want to look at from a business valuation point of view is a customer list, an account receivable uh, aging, an account payable list, an accounts payable aging, uh, an equipment uh, listing, and what their depreciated book value is, an inventory list of what they have in inventory, uh, and if there's any other investments that they may have. Um, there is such a concept as a um, having an interest in a minority company. And in that case, you may be able to get some discounts on that investment because if you've got a minority interest in your company, you can take a minority and marketability discount on that investment besides inve- uh, valuing it uh, and then uh, adjusting the valuation that is on the company books for hmm. that investment. I, I have a, something to, to toss in the mix here. Um, it just occurred to me that business valuations are something that we do when we look at mergers and acquisitions of firms. So um, right now we have a period of economic turbulence. Let's say there's a family law practitioner out there, and that family law practitioner wants to evaluate their book of business and their goodwill in the community and things, and they want to sell their law firm. So that's another thing. If it were, we're, we're uh, trying to decide what it's worth, um, what types of uh, materials do you ask for at that point? Well, I would still be asking for that uh, that same situation, but uh, right. you've, got a, you've got a problem uh, that you really have to spend some time in when you're dealing with a law firm uh, is their unbilled time and the collectability of their receivables. Uh, so that is something that, you want, that you'd want to look at, and you'd want to look at it very carefully because you even get into some situations where uh, the re- the receivables based on the sale of the house, and if any of you are, are own a home now, you know what the value of that is compared to what you paid for it a couple of years ago. Right. So, so that may be uh, you may be looking at that to pay your uh, to collect your legal fees or to pay your legal fees, and that collateral may be uh, uh, zero at the moment because you may be uh, upside down on the loan. Uh, so that is uh, one of the things you want to look at the, the referral sources. Uh, how long has the person been in business? Um, what is? Uh, I mean, the furniture is, is furniture to, to a good degree. You're not going to be concerned about moving their furniture or their art collection, etc. But you want to know their referral sources, their book of business that they presently have, and what they can add to your book of business. Mm-hmm. I, I really talk so much. Uh, Jerome, about referral partners and helping attorneys set up good referral partner networks. And I am of the opinion, and you know, as well as so many, and I'm sure yourself will agree, that those referral partners have tremendous value. And a lot of the efforts and things that where I talk about human capital as well as um, negotiable capital. I agree with you, though. And one of the things that gets into the taking that to the divorce arena. Um, is there's a concept in Illinois and in many states about goodwill. That personal goodwill is the property of uh, the, the owner of the business, while enterprise goodwill can be transferred to other people. So you want to look at that situation for uh, whether there is uh, enterprise goodwill or personal goodwill, and that requires but- some uh, some heavy investigation. 
Sure, sure. So let me. How I respond to that is, I think about my, uh, you know, as as our agency grows here, um, for most people, law publicist communications that means Nick Augustine because they know me and they know the brand. As the as the firm grows and and I'm more removed, uh, more people know the firm based on the name and the firm's reputation, separate from knowing me personally. So then that would be a shift. Am I am I following and tracking with you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. And, and, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, we're going to have to pause for a break here, for our first commercial break. Um, but I want you to finish your thought, and then where do you think that we should go next? Okay. Uh, my thoughts on this is that you definitely have to investigate this, the goodwill issue. And even in the large firm, individuals in, in a law firm or a medical practice or an accounting practice may have their own personal goodwill that would follow them if they left the firm. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I, th- I think we should, uh, you know, continue on uh, exploring different aspects of the business valuation when we come back. Wonderful. And further, later in the show, we're also going to talk about business valuations in different attorney models. Um, and again, we're talking about things from traditional litigation, also talking about alternative dispute resolution models, including mediation and collaboration, and how the roles of the business valuator uh, may look in those different situations. So we're going to pause for our first uh, set of commercial breaks. And our first commercial sponsor is the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Your business may be exposed to liability if your marketing materials and slogans infringe on another's intellectual property. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity and guard against trademark infringement, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting www.nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. The law office of Nancy K. Ducharme is there to help you with your advertising copy review. You can get in touch with Nancy today by visiting www.nkdlaw.com for contact information. And our second sponsor is Steve Fretzen and Sales Results Incorporated. If you're an attorney who's struggling to develop your book of business, try calling Sales Results. For over six years, Sales Results has been helping attorneys to double or even triple their books through their business development coaching programs. So give them a call at area code 847-317-1575. That telephone number, again, is area code 847-317-1575. Or you can always find them online at www.salesresultsinc.com. Again, that's salesresultsinc.com. Now back to our program. We encourage our listeners to call in with any questions to area code 917-889-9732, option one for the caller queue. Also, we take your questions after hours or for many of those who find our show in the archives on our site or in social media, you can always get in touch with us by emailing us or sending us a message through the contact portal on the main website of ALRPRA.com. Now, uh, back to our discussion with Jerome Lippmann. Um, earlier in the first segment, we talked a little bit about what business valuation was, how it works, the materials 
sales that the business evaluator collects. And we were just discussing goodwill and service industry business. And I think that many people tend to only, again, look at the amounts in the bank and the receivables and the tangible assets they can grab. And there seems to be so much more to goodwill and brand and all the other things that the marketing and branding folks talk about have dollar value. So let's continue. Okay. Uh, some of the things that uh, one should be concerned about in this uh, other aspects of it, besides I was just talking about the personal contacts that a professional may have, but the same thing with a, an executive in a business. He may have some uh, uh, contacts that would be this, that would operate the same way where he can bring in uh, car sales or uh, contracts for um, plumbing or heating or any of those other incidences. And it's based on his knowledge of, of the people, his uh, his uh, social friends, etc. But there are other things that are typical in a business that may have some value. The question is, is, is coming up with a, a value for them. Uh, one is, do you have, uh, you've got a phone number. Does someone rem- is that phone number something that people know and remember? Will they call that number next year just because, oh, I'm looking for uh, a plumber or CPA, and I remember this this was the number. So the, f- the phone number may be something. You've got a staff of people in the business where you have maybe a secretary, um, a uh, receptionist, uh, a file clerk, depending on how large you are, and this is called a workforce in place. And when somebody is buying a business, uh, they're probably going to continue with all of your employees. Uh, and to have that, the, that those employees, that's a, a goodwill portion, a portion of the goodwill. It's a carve-out of the general goodwill category of, of a computation. Um, another thing may um, be uh, your address or your, um, your logo or... Uh, your uh, uh, your specific location besides the address that people know about and go, I'm going to go to that store because it's right next to somebody else. You know, uh, that's that's convenient uh, in a shopping place or something to that effect. So all those are different carve-outs of goodwill. And then how do you get to, to the goodwill computation is an interesting uh, uh, maneuver. Prior to, I've talked about Rev. Ruling 59-60 earlier, but prior to that, there was a Rev. Ruling 68609, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Accounting and Review Memorandum 34. That was the document that was used to value the breweries or the uh, distillers, etc., that were put out of business with uh, uh, the uh, Volstead Act. And, uh, <clears throat> and that, they came up with an idea that's in addition to running the business and paying all the expenses, the only way you had goodwill is if you if you made more profit than you should have made. Hmm. That's and, and the, yeah, and then and the way they did that is that if you're paying all your normal expenses, and the officer is paid a salary, and everybody else is paid a salary, is there anything left? And what, whatever is left is adjusted, whether it's plus or minus, by any excess things that are that are being paid for by the business. So if, the, if you, you're able to come to a, a, a conclusion through independent study that the officer should have been paid 100000 and he's paid $300,000, then there's 200000 of an add to the profit. 
or the reverse. If he's paid 50, it should be 100. There's a 50,000 minus going in there. Uh, if rents uh, to a related party, and that's another area that you've got to be concerned about, is transactions with a company that the uh, property spouse has an ownership interest in or that a significant other has an ownership interest or a significant other is on the payroll uh, and they, they're performing no services or the spouse is on the payroll performing no services. Uh, these are adjustments that should be, that should be made and, and looked into for valuation purposes. Hmm. But, uh, um, another question I had that just uh, these are popping up in my head. Um, you have businesses that uh, let's take a law firm for example. That's a pretty uh, simple calculation for you because you've worked with law firms. You know what the factors are. What happens if you have a business that? is you know somewhat novel and it's a new type of business they offer a service that's more of a startup but is not yet known what other variables and how i suppose i think that with the economy right now we're getting more people who are coming up with innovative business ideas and thinking outside the box and um you know and looking for valuation you know what happens i, I suppose you just carve out new metrics or what well you would uh, have a serious interview with the uh owner of the business and all of his executive team, whoever they may be, and try to come up with some uh, discount of future cash flows of what you think the company might be earning <clears throat> over a period of years. And also in that, trying to determine what type of cash they need to get started with. Mm -hmm. And then you go from, from there with a valuation and trying to raise the funds that are necessary for it. Now, what what happens if you have okay? Let's just run through some uh, hypos. Um, let's say there's a business, and I want to buy shares of the business, and the the business the person selling uh, the company or offering the shares or the the part partner uh, it says it's worth X. I probably want to get my own evaluation done, and then it seems that you might have. You know, uh, just like appraisals, you've got a high, you know, different values there. Um, and then, you know, also if you're, you know, flipped on the other side of the coin, if we're in court and uh, I'm a, a family law and I'm a divorce litigant and I'm going to have one expert do a business valuation and then I get another, I suppose that we probably have some uh, variable uh, variables there, but it sounds like it would be, be competing experts. So I, I'm wondering if there, you know, what is purely measurable and objective versus subjective. So what types of things should people be considering when they're hiring and getting second opinions? Okay. Well, I think that you know there should always be uh, – it's hard to have a neutral in a valuation situation. It can be done, but that person has to be truly neutral. And we could get into that uh, after I try to answer your other question. Sure. Uh, is that uh, there are uh, – Techniques that should be done by the by the person doing the valuation of how how they come to whatever conclusion they have, but uh, they should be very cautious. Anyone who is buying a business today and buying it from a business broker as such should be extremely cautious because the business broker is there to make a sale. He doesn't care about the buyer. He cares about the seller. I don't care, you know, what what they say. He's just trying to get you to put your money into the deal. Uh, uh, we were consulted, and because of a conflict, we couldn't take a case where a um, company was was sold, 
and it was sold at an overprice with a broker, and we couldn't get into the, uh, that particular case. But there was two different uh, businesses that somebody bought from a broker and overpaid. In another case, we had a, a situation where we won money back from a buyer in a, in a litigation matter where he had bought a business from a broker and there was some misstatement of, of facts and, stuff and et cetera. So we were able to come down with a value that was substantially less than what this man paid for, his, for the business. Um, recently, we've been contacted by a dentist um, who asked us to value three different practices dealing with brokers, and they all had uh, adjustments that were inappropriate, making the business appear to be worth a lot more uh, than uh, what what it tr truly was. We had the same thing with somebody who was uh, buying some franchise restaurants, where we told them not to buy it at those particular prices. So uh, we may have lost the accounting jobs on those, um, but we, we maintained our reputation of uh, doing evaluation that's appropriate for what they needed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, so that, that's you know a comment which I think goes back to what you were saying, and it also goes back to uh, uh, in a divorce situation or in a um, collaborative uh, divorce situation is uh, where you have a situation where there is a business, there should be some value on it, and the property spouse says, oh, it's worth nothing, or it's worth this amount of money. Uh, that may or may not be factual, uh, his or her opinion as to what the business is, but you should have some independent look at, independent person look at it, maybe not go through a whole valuation procedures, but at least attempt to find out um, what uh, the value truly is, and uh, there was some interesting uh, uh, meetings that I've had with people about that. Um, if you're going to be neutral, you have to be neutral, and uh, that, uh, and that's something that I'm very concerned about. When I'm doing something like that, I am going to act as as neutral as I can to try and find out what the real values are behind with the business and what makes it tick, and. Um, Sometimes uh, other people I know of have not done that that same level of work. Yeah, it's. I think again, there is a tremendous value to any professionals who can really learn how to take an objective approach to work that sometimes has subjective elements to it, in the spirit of remaining neutral and again with uh collaborative practice and again uh i am also a, a big fan of the, the collaborative practice model and do a lot of pro bono work in support and promotion of the you know the agency and all the people involved um and it's, it's a different approach than the traditional litigation model um where you have your evaluator uh, on one side so again with the neutral you know it's so tough i guess you have to really just rely on the quality of information um, that's being you know fed to you by both by both parties and I guess uh, you know we'll dig a little bit into we're going to pause for a second break and when we get back the question I have for you Jerome is when you describe a little how it works in the collaborative model because it would seem to me that 
that even though the parties are there to work collaboratively, you're relying on the information you're getting from the parties, and I just wonder how much due diligence uh, is need, you know needs to happen behind the scenes. So uh, I'm just again, I come out of family law litigation myself, and uh, trusting people and everything they give to you from the start, from the financials, is not uh, all you know is not always the best place to be. Sometimes it's good to have a little bit of a, a air of suspicion. So I'm just wondering about diligence work and you know how it works with a different practice model. So we're going to uh, ask you that question just after we come back from our break. And this is the half point in our show. Uh, this is where we bring you our daily legal news and then another commercial sponsor. Today's daily legal news uh, comes out of Reuters and the state of Montana, where Montana Governor Brian Schweitzer on Wednesday vetoed a bill that would have repealed the state's seven-year-old voter-approved law legalizing marijuana for medical purposes. Now, again, our daily legal news, uh, we literally take the top hits of what is in the news today in the world of law. So uh, where last week we were talking a lot about the the state of Wisconsin and their uh, battle uh, with the governor there, um, so that has subsided a bit, and we're on to other things. And today's uh, comments are, again, from Reuters, and I'll give you some text of this uh, information. It is, Schweitzer's veto came as state lawmakers continue to work on an alternative bill to tighten regulation of medical marijuana in the state where 30,000 residents carry cards allowing them to lawfully use marijuana as treatment for one ailment or another. Critics of the law, approved as a ballot measure by voters in 2004, say the statute has been abused by some as a pretext for recreational pot smoking and even for illegal drug trade. Quote, the, intent, the good intentions of the Montana voters have been made a mockery by the system that's grown up in this state in the last year and a half, said, uh, unquote, said State Senator Jeff Elsman, a chief sponsor of the regulation bill. Last month, federal agents raided marijuana greenhouses and dispensaries in 13 cities across Montana in a crackdown that federal prosecutors said was aimed at supposed medical pot suppliers who were engaged in large-scale drug trafficking. Although cannabis is still considered an illegal narcotic under federal law, 15 states and the District of Columbia have statuses making marijuana legal for medical reasons, uh, mostly in the West, according to the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. In a shift from the Bush administration's position on the subject, the administration of President Barack Obama said in October 2009 it would be no longer prosecute patients who use medical marijuana or dispensaries that distribute it in states where marijuana has been approved for such purposes. But the number of pot growers and storefront clinics have sprouted since then, and the Justice Department officials say federal law enforcement will continue raids on illegal drug distribution operations wherever they are found. So, uh, coming out of Reuters today, uh, Montana Governor Brian Schweitzer again Wednesday vetoed a bill that would have repealed the state's seven-year-old voter-approved law legalizing marijuana for medical purposes. So, very interesting to see what's going on in different areas of the country in our daily legal news segment. And our third commercial sponsor for the day is Jim Thompson in the Get Clients Now program. If you want to get more clients now, there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you can talk to. His name is Jim Thompson, and his program is called Get Clients Now. 
Jim helps you take crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is a recurring guest on our Law Talk radio programming, and to learn more about the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit their new website at www.lawyersmarketingresource.com. Again, that is lawyersmarketingresource.com. You can also check out their testimonials on their website and see what people have been saying about their program. Here at Law Publicist Communications, we strongly endorse the Get Clients Now program and understand the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by emailing him. His email is J-E-T, like Jet, J-E-T, at MidwestConsultants.net. Again, J-E-T, at MidwestConsultants, plural, .net. And we want to remind our listeners out there that many people do find our shows through their social networks and links. So if you do see a show that you find of interest, please share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, and your LinkedIn pages. We do thank you for all of your support in sharing our programming that has reached listeners worldwide. So back now to our show. We're talking with Jerome Lipman. And in the first segment, we talked a little bit about the background of business valuation, what is required, what materials you need to turn over to the evaluator. We talked a little bit about uh, service industry firms, uh, some of the history of valuation techniques, different things that are valued. Um, So I guess we'll talk a little bit well, I'm interested in a little bit more, Jerome, on the problems with valuing smaller companies because I do think that is something that most of our attorney audience is likely to run into uh, if they have smaller companies that, and it's just in a divorce situation or maybe it's estate planning uh, and we need to know values. So I'm always interested in small company valuation, but I want to uh, ask you a little bit about the procedural elements in working with uh, parties in, let's just kind of focus on family law, in collaboration or mediation, uh, and also in traditional litigation? What are some of the differences that our particular practitioners might need to know? Well, let me give you an example of something that uh, a case that uh, uh, I was just involved with uh, at, the end of this, at the end of last year, the beginning of this year. It was a small company doing uh, less than a million dollars in sales. There was one known employee. Uh, however, there were three trucks with... Uh, Gas expenses of uh, fifty to one hundred dollars a day uh, for the three trucks. Uh, and looking at the tax returns, this person had bought a business from somebody that where he worked there. He was making, uh, uh, let's say, say substantially more than his tax returns after he bought the business showed as an employee of a company with the owner working in the business as well. Uh, there were tax returns that were prepared where they showed negative gross profit. Now, that's a technical term, but what it, what it means to the listener is that if he sold something for a dollar, it cost him a dollar fifty, and you don't stay in business doing that. But he was... <laughs> But he was he was on two of his ta- year tax returns. He showed that we asked to get all the sales invoices so we could see who his customers were and what he was selling because we were hoping to be able to match the sales with his purchases of items, and we never got them. The attorney representing the property spouse was able to avoid it, and for some reason the judge allowed it, so we couldn't prove the obvious uh, tax fraud as well as the fraud on the family that this person was doing. But be, because we did so much of the complaining in court, the judge did 
conference a compromise the situation by having, setting a fairly low value on the business, but giving the wife a substantial um, maintenance award. So maybe we got got somewhere that way. But that was a situation where, if we were in a um, collaborative situation, everybody would have met in the same room and not met in the courtroom and been able to, and be less antagonistic towards each other. So that's the, that's one of the advantages of a collaborative law situation is you're trying to hold down the antagonism and allowing the couple, when they ultimately um, get divorced, to have some sort of a relationship with them, which may not be the case with all the acrimony and fighting in a typical divorce situation. Mm-hmm. And so when you meet, okay, so when lead me through the procedure then um, in collaborative and maybe in mediation and, and uh, in litigation. I suppose in litigation, um, the attorneys are hiring you and tendering things over to you. Is it different procedurally with the different models? It's a, it's a different model because when you get into the collaborative situation, you're supposed to, I, I talk to the lawyers on both sides at the same time. I try to avoid having a, com- a conference call uh, that doesn't include the lawyers on both sides or the, the spouses. I try to have the spouses also, uh, if I'm going to be talking to the wife, I want to talk to the husband, if at all possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, or call immediately and say, look, I talked to uh, your spouse. This is what we discussed. Do you have any comments about that uh, as to the veracity or non-veracity of what the person told me? Uh, because in collaborative, everybody's supposed to be treated as you know as equal in this situation, and I make sure that I try to do that by um, just talking to the attorneys at all times uh, together. I don't want, I'm not yeah. a hired. I'm not going to be a hired gun for any of them. It's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. And uh, go on. What else? I, I, it's very I was, interesting I gonna, hearing the background difference. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I've done. Uh, Recently, is um, I, I have done work for uh, a um, agency of the U.S. government for years and years and years. And in those cases, although I represent the government, I'm there because the government wants a compromise. And I do the financial work to recommend the settlement number uh, to come to a compromise settlement. And mm. and. Uh, so that's uh i mean there is uh i have yet to be in court on uh, with them uh the cases have all settled and resolved themselves but uh we have worked very diligently to come up to what we think is a uh settlement number that makes sense for both parties and most recently there was uh, an 8 million dollar settlement wow Mm-hmm. And so that, that's so that's big, but the other times they're small. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. We had a, a gentleman on the program talking about uh, he was in California, and uh, the gentleman's name was Alan Sims, and he helped pro ses in Cal- in California. You cannot bring an attorney to pro se court, but you can bring an expert, and he was helping with tracing everything from the uh, banks and home modification. Uh, and, and everything going on going on there. I suppose that's um, uh, part of your business as well, outside of uh, the valuations. Am I right? 
That is correct, although we have not been involved in a case like that. You know, we have been involved uh-huh. with, with fraud. We're in the middle of a, uh, a fraud situation now that we're uh, in the process of trying to resolve. Mm-hmm. So would you would you find that fraud? Let's let's you know go back to our collaborative uh, model. I'm I you know again I hate to sound pessimistic or that I don't trust everyone involved, but let's say that we have two parties and the one says I with a smile under the face I want to do collaborative law and I want to work together and stay out of court and they think you know, you know wink wink haha like no one realizes that I've got pulled the wool over their eyes. Um, so again, when you see, are there signals that go off um, when things just don't add up, and you say there's got to be something here, or you know, if someone was really hiding money or siphoning it on the side, and you know, this question came up. Uh, I was in a mediation uh, training, and I this I, I thought the same thing that you could be engaging in some sort of fraud and no one might ever find out about it but for going through discovery and subpoena you know sending out subpoenas and everything and going through um in a in an adversarial uh, process you might discover that information so and you again you're relying on the information in collaborative and a mediation of, of what's being tendered so um in your all of your years what are some things that uh, uh don't pass the sniff test well uh, passing, not passing the sniff test as if the property spouse insists on no valuation uh, or no consultation with a, a business valuator uh, because uh, I think you got to ask the non-property spouse a very simple question. Has he ever lied or she ever lied to you before? Do you, do you know about their significant other or whatever, the, what the real reason for the divorce is? And if they've done one thing, why why is why should why wouldn't they do something else like that? Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, so that uh, they would uh, try to uh, cover up some things. Uh, also, you've got to look at the you got to look at the standard of living. If you're saying if you've got a person who's uh, saying we don't need a business valuation, you know, there's there's I'm just making out a living. But does he have does he or she have cash in their pocket? Uh, do they spend money um, on uh, different things that are not necessary, or what type of car do they drive? Uh, where do you go to dinner? Um, who are his, who are his or her friends that you spend some time with? Uh, what about the clothes or jewelry? Uh, all those things cost money. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got to start thinking about the signs for that. Do they go to uh, baseball or base, basketball or football or hockey games? And if so, um, how many people do they go with, and how do, how do the tickets get paid for? Those are <laughs> those are not cheap uh, events, as you know, as they were when right. I grew up. Right, right. So then, how would you, you know, what if they do you do investigation uh, and diligence on the side of what? Uh, the person is representing? Uh, yes, we can do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have done it in the past. We've done some, we've done discovery to find out, you know, is there other income that they're not reporting, uh, as there was in the case I had referenced to before, is, mm-hmm. you know, what is what are the books show versus what, you know, you know has to be real. Uh, and we knew that there was uh, sales missing from the, from the records. Wow. 
so interesting. I, I really have always found it very fascinating. Again, the first time I ever uh, stumbled across the idea of valuing goodwill, I thought, hmm, this is something I really want to wrap my brain around. So this is an interesting show. I really appreciate you being on. And we're going to pause for our last break. And then when I come back, um, I'd like to highlight some of the things that you can leave some of our practitioners with, things that they should watch for with valuing small, smaller uh, companies. So we'll be right back after our third break. And this is the point in the show, uh, three-quarter way through, where we bring you some law practice management resources and then our final commercial sponsor. And practice management resources come from the ABA Book Publishing Division, also from Law Bulletin Publishing Company and your very own law publicist, Communications. First, from ABA Publishing, the title of the day, and we've been writing this title a few times because it's a very interesting title not many know about, it is Educating Children Without Housing, 3rd Edition. This title addresses the federal education mandates related to the homeless students under the McKinney-Vento Homeless Assistance Act. The manual provides innovative strategies for educators and school administrators, state coordinators and policymakers, as well as advocates and attorneys who play a role in ensuring the educational rights of children and youth experiencing homelessness. So again, Educating Children Without Housing, 3rd edition, by ABA Book Publishing. Secondly, from Law Bulletin Publishing Company, when you subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and Chicago Lawyer Magazine, you will receive up-to-date legal news from Chicago and around Illinois. Also, check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly career seminar for lawyers in flux in their careers. I am one of the weekly advice columnists published on the Attorneys in Transition <coughs> site, and I hope that you visit and leave your comments at attorneysintransition.com. <coughs> Finally, our very own law publicist, Communications, who brings you this programming, wants to find out, are your clients and colleagues talking about you? And what do they say? Do you need to create a logo, a website, or a brand image? Do you have time to do all of these things for yourself, or does your staff? You can hand us the keys and let us help you make sense of public relations for law firms and businesses. ALR PRA Incorporated's Law Publicist Communications is an A public relations agency serving lawyers and professional services firms. We put you on the map and get people talking about you and your firm. For more information, please visit www.alrpra.com or simply search Google for Law Publicist Communications for more information. Finally, our fourth commercial sponsor of the day is credit damage expert George Finder. Your credit score and reputation are valuable assets. If you suffer damage to your credit score, you should consider your damages. Credit damage expert George Finder is an expert who can put a dollar amount on damage to your credit score. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and the attorneys and plaintiffs who've retained his services have earned huge damage awards, various practice areas such as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. Now, by learning to incorporate credit damage questions into your intake process, you and your staff will learn how to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. 
He's available nationwide for credit damage expert questions and consulting. His uh, website with more information and a video <coughs> are located at www.creditdamageexpert.com. Again, that's creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. Again, before we go to our final uh, segment of the show here, we want to remind callers with questions, 917-889-9732 and option 1 are uh, the method to get into the show. Please jot that number down for future reference. Also, if you want to submit comments, you can always go to Facebook, and under the Facebook search tab, you can type Law Talk Radio, and there you will get copies of all of our shows and links and more information so you can see a little bit more to who our guests are. You can always find that also on the Law Talk Radio page on our home site. So now back to our program with Jerome Lippman. I want to just round out our final, uh, we have about 10 minutes, to talk about some things that uh, the attorneys out there should look for um, when spotting things for business valuations and small businesses. Um, let's just, uh, what are some things that they need to have on their radar so they know, again, when they need to get a valuation or when they should just make a phone call and see if it's necessary? Okay. One of the things you might want to look at if they're capable of understanding what is considered generally accepted accounting principles, how are the tax returns or the financial statements prepared? Are they on a cash basis or are they on an accrual basis? Uh, if they're on a cash basis, they're more uh, subject to missing some items in contrast to an accrual basis. Uh, the difference between cash and accrual, for those of you that may not understand that, is cash is you spend it now, it's an expense, or you bought an asset, and you collected the money, it's either a sale or it's a collection of a receivable or an, a bank loan or something to that effect. In, uh, in accrual, it's when did you make the sale? Not when you, when you collected it, but when did you make the sale and when did you buy the merchandise? And those two, those differences can account for a lot of differences in the financial statements and tax returns. Uh, take any small business. Uh, it could be a month or two months or three months of sales that are in the accounts receivable area. And you may not know those if you're on a cash basis. So you've got to look at what type of business is it and is there a possibility of receivables? Is there a possibility of inventory being understated uh, because the lower the inventory, the, the higher the expenses, the lower the profit. So uh, that is something that many people uh, will do to try to manipulate their uh, their profit because of not necessarily their uh, getting divorced, but it's uh, an income tax device. Uh, another th thing that you might be able to look at is try and get some information on the industry and see how the ratios of this company appear to the ratios of the uh, of other people in that industry. Oh, one of the things you could also look at, and this goes back to the um, largest fraud that I discovered uh, purely by accident, and it's a shame I didn't make any money on it. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but looking at the ratio of receivables to sales or payables to uh, to cost of goods sold. Uh, these two are significant items, and uh, are the significance of the inventory, the gross profit, or how inventory is as it compares to cost of goods sold. And um, those items may disclose that there is uh, something wrong with the financial statements. 
uh, if you want me to digress and talk about that uh, uh, that uh, one fraud, I I can for a minute. Yeah, yeah. It's I always love war stories. Okay. Uh, there's there was a company called Just for Feet, and some of you may remember that uh, chain of sporting goods stores that sold a lot of athletic uh, gear, primarily shoes, but they went into everything else. And uh, it was being touted as a hot stock at one point, and I bought it, and then all of a sudden it it, it died because of some financial uh, fraud, and I sold the stock and forgot about it. And about four years later, I see people are touting it again as a great stock to buy. And I say, that can't be true. These guys were crooks once. They're going to be crooks again. And I looked at the financial statements, and I discovered one of the um, – items that I had suspected before they were doing the same thing with. And when I discovered it earlier, I called a friend of mine who was a class action SEC lawyer, and he said, well, the uh, the lawyers knew about it, but um, it was too costly to uh, produce to go after that particular issue. Well, <laughs> so I went after it and called the accounting firm. I did not buy the stock. I did not sell the stock. I did not buy options or anything like that and told nobody about it other than the managing partner of the Chicago um office of that national CPA firm uh, that was in charge of audits, telling them that there was a problem. And it got carried all the way up through the chain of command, and ultimately the audit was pulled. And I was vindicated, at least in my mind, that I caught this particular fraud. (laughs) So, yeah, and, you know... um, and, as, and Just for Feet, was, uh, they had some interesting stores. I, I was in a couple of them uh, throughout the country. You know, it's it's so interesting uh, when we see so many uh, money-making operations uh, that are just completely fraudulent. How many do you, how how many of you found that? Uh, you know, Bernie Madoff. No, you know who who saw that coming? Uh, but then a lot of the schemes did, uh, you know, fall to the ground. Um, do you have any good uh, any stories running into pyramid schemes or you know here you know anything where I guess it's what makes it not legitimate is that there's not funds to back the representations made. Am I on the right page? I think you're on the right page. You know, and and there were people that suspected Madoff uh, uh, before it uh, came about that he, that it was really discovered. There are people that would not do business with him. So. Um, it may have been obvious to some, just as you know, just for feet became obvious for, to me. I wasn't aware of uh, Madoff, but um, uh, some people I know have uh, have clients that did get stung by that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he and he was uh, he was non-discriminatory. He didn't care who he got the money from. You know, I watch uh, the cable show American Greed on one of whatever channel it is, and you know what I see is a lot of people being able to do things with technology and to sort of beat the system. And I remember one program where a gentleman was uh, filing and taking mortgages on properties, and by the time the recorder of deeds and everything caught up, uh, it was you know it was double, it was too late. So uh, the guy took out uh, you know several mortgages on a property, took the cash, and by the time anyone knew, he blew into blown town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, those those things happen. I, I mean, I was in a case uh, uh, a couple of years back where uh, somebody was. Uh, I got into it because of a divorce issue, but uh, I wasn't doing any forensics about that. I was doing forensics about what we've been talking about is get your evaluators in early. You know, nobody did the evaluations, nobody did the looking. And the um, husband uh, 
who was doing some, a bunch of shady stuff that I was that you could see by the transactions. We were wondering where the cash went. Well, one, the, some of the cash went in a um, a hearse that he bought that he shipped to Egypt, and then he went. And then when the divorce was over, he went to Egypt and got whatever was in the hearse. <laughs> Literally, cash in the hearse. <laughs> You know, it's 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 interesting. You know, you you bring up a good point with um get the information early. Um I suppose that some attorneys might want to give you a call and ask about what types of things and then we're going back to litigation, but what type of things they might want to put in their initial discovery mans. Um because you know, we all use the you know, there's the same, you know, basic rider that's any and all and it lists the the document list. Um, but um, yeah, have, yeah, I wonder uh, that might be a good value um, for some attorneys. I'm just suggesting that throwing it out to people. Uh, you should really have a business evaluator take a look at what kind of financial discovery tools you're using, making sure that you're asking all the right questions. Because if you're not asking for the right stuff, you might not get things. And some of the things that are, um, you know, the ways that people cheat and trick are not uh, inherently obvious to to everyone. So that's a good idea. So uh, let me ask you, Jerome, how uh, what's a good perf- preferred way um, for people to get a hold of you and in our in our last moments here if you could again share with our audience um, your firm what you do and how people can be in touch right. they could contact me at Horwich Coleman Levin 312-341-0100 uh, my uh, um, internet is jhl at horwich.com h-o-r-w-i-c-h dot com um, and uh, call at any time. I, I I get internet access to my phone at the office uh, seven twenty four. Uh, we the firm is a full service accounting firm. Uh, I and a group of people in the firm. It's not just myself. Uh, specialize in business valuation and litigation support. So we have a litigation support team. We have a very excellent tax department and an audit department. Um, and we do something that. Um, uh, is un- unusual is that we're a home office for some, for many people and some wealthy people and some wealthy divorcees uh, who do, just have never managed a checkbook or done stuff like that. That is sure. one of the specialties the firm has. As All well. right. Well, that's a good thing to know because uh, we, uh, you know, as a full service practice management group again most of our activity is is a a pr agency but we still do consulting and coaching on all the practice management things so uh you are a good professional to have on our our wall of vips so i also want to thank you jerome for taking your valuable time today to be our guest and share uh some of your information with uh, me and with all of our uh, listeners out there it was my pleasure and uh would be delighted to do it again if you want Wonderful. And I'd also like to take this moment to thank all of our listeners for loyally tuning in to our episodes and for sharing those with others. I also want to thank our commercial sponsors for today. We had Nancy K. Ducharme of the Law Offices of Nancy K. Ducharme, Steve Fretzen and Sales Results Incorporated, Jim Thompson of the Midwest Consulting Group and Get Clients Now program, and credit damages expert George Finder. Now, I want to remind people that you can find our archive uh, programs on ALRPRA.com. Again, that stands for Augustine Legal Research and Public Relations Agency, but you know us as Law Publicist Communications. So find our website. There's a link with all the Law Talk Radio uh, archives there. Again, I'll read you the short disclaimer that this is a general information program. Advice shared on our show does not constitute legal or other professional advice, and results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. Programming is politically neutral and objective. 
Counterpoints to views are always welcomed. Law Talk Radio is produced by Law Publicist Communications, an ALRPRA incorporated agency, and Law Talk Radio does not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, callers all remain confidential and rights to the broadcast are reserved. Here at Law Talk Radio, our episodes are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information and news that they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal and financial and other services. With our guests, our listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program and bring people together to share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Law Talk Radio, and we thank you for your time. Goodbye.